0: G'day, welcome. Potato Ship Podcast number four. Today we're talking about strategy because I think it's a really cool thing to talk about. <laughs> no, but I really do. I really do. I really do because it's the most exciting. Um, it's the most exciting aspect of any business, and in a marketing sense, you know, advertising the sort of shears that I <coughs> try and talk about as much as I can on this podcast. Strategy is the most important thing, and quite often, what you'll find. Go talk to your person who's running your social media department or, you know, go talk to the people who you're putting in charge of the marketing communications and ask them to really define for you what strategy is. You know, if you're the business owner, you should really be asking them to tell you what their definition of strategy is. And they should be able to do it in a really, really, really short phrase or two. They shouldn't be able to drone on about it. When someone's taking 20 you know, sentences to say what can be said in one, then they don't know what they're talking about. That's pretty clear. So strategy is saying, this is where we're going to play and this is how we're going to win. That's it. Really, that's it. Because so many people, you use strategy in your daily life and you probably don't even think about it. So, you know, I mean, some random examples about strategy. Well, I mean, there's strategy in a football team. Uh, There's strategy in a 13-year-old boy working out how to awkwardly tell a girl that he likes her. That, that has elements of strategy around it, you know, when he goes and tells his mate to ask her friend if, if she likes him, that's sort of the whole game, the working out, how do I go about getting to the end game of what I'm interested in is a, is a point of strategy. And the biggest flaw that's made in marketing, you know, and advertising and, and just pushing the social media um, responsibility of your business onto some young kid because they're young and they get it which is an, an intense, gross misuse of your brand management and recognition. Hold oh, two seconds. Got the microphone stuff here. Just one second, I'll be right with you. Okay, we're back rolling. Yeah, so <laughs> making sure that they understand what, their, what strategy is, first of all, how to define it, how to understand it as being different from everything else that they do. And making sure that they're not confusing strategy for operational effectiveness. Okay, and that's, that's, that's so vital because operational effectiveness is basically how can we make what we're doing more efficient. Okay? So to, to make it uh, really clear, it means performing similar activities better than rivals perform them. Okay? So you're doing the same thing, but we're trying to do it in a better, more more efficient way. We're trying to get from A to B exactly what they're doing. Uh, but in a more efficient way, getting rid of, I don't know, whatever the little bits and pieces are, the extra people involved, how do we streamline this? That's just operational effectiveness. But strategy, it should be set from the tone down. So if you're running your business, let's say it's a a cafe or let's say that it's a, a mining operation. At the end of the day, all you're focusing on is the direction that you want the business to go to and then allocating the responsibility of people to be able to find that direction. So you have to understand straight up, it's like, okay, where are we playing? Okay, why is it important to play here? And how are we going to go about winning? You know, how are we going to do differently to the opposition? So you know, constant improvement in operational effectiveness is necessary to achieve you know, a superior profitability. However, it's not usually sufficient. Few companies have completed successfully on the basis of operational effectiveness over an extended period. And staying ahead of rivals gets harder every day. And the most obvious reason for that is rapid diffusion of best practices, competitors quickly imitating management techniques, new technologies and input improvements and superior ways of, of, of trying to meet the customer's needs. The most energetic solutions, those that can be used in multiple settings, diffuse the fastest. So witness the, prof, uh, the proliferation of um, <coughs> EO techniques, um, accelerated by support from consultants, they're constantly going to shift productivity frontier outward um, and effectively raising the bar for everyone. Now, that's okay, but it's insufficient because it creates a competitive convergence, which is a bit more subtle, a bit more insidious. The more benchmarking companies do, so the more they just try and look alike and, and do things a little bit more effectively, and more efficiently than the others, the more that Rivals outsource activities to efficient third parties. uh, You know, they're often going to be the same ones that you do. The more generic those activities become, and so you're going to get to a tipping point, and that's where it comes into that whole idea of red oceans and blue oceans. Someone who's a really good strategist is constantly looking about if they can create a blue ocean for their product in delivering their strategy. So, what's a blue ocean? What's a red ocean? Let's just make that. Okay, so there's some really obvious examples in history, but I'll, I'll use I'll use um just two to paint the picture. Um, I'll use three. Okay, so <coughs> circus delay is circus delay is a really good example because traditionally circuses were these operations that required exotic animals and all sorts of other things, and the exotic animals, their transportation, buying them, look after, looking after them, all that sort of stuff was. Really expensive. I mean, that was your major overhead getting all the snakes and all the bears and all the lions and all that nonsense from A to B. And what you had happen in the 70s and 80s was the rise of animal activism through the Greenpeace movement. <clears throat> and so they, they started to become unpopular because people started to say, well, this is actually kind of fucked up that you're throwing a your pig through a bear's nose and dragging it around, making it sing and dance for you. Um, and, you know, rightly so. But. There's a bloke, whoever it is that owned Circus La the name escapes me now, but he worked out that, okay, how can I do this differently? How can I take the idea of a circus? So the silliness, the, the storytelling, all that sort of thing, and keep this process of, of, of art going, because to him it was an art, you know, so it wasn't an option for him to just sort of pile out and engage a new audience. And what he did was he, he focused on the, the human element and the acrobatics and created these fantastical Alice in Wonderland inspired storylines. Um, and that is where Circus L.A. then went on and became the biggest circus act in the world. And there's nothing that competes with it. And then I don't think there's anything that can compete with it because it cornered a blue ocean. It created a, a market of its own in which it could dominate and it could have all the rewards. A red ocean, on the other hand, that's what we talked about, that competitive convergence. So everyone's doing the same thing and everyone's trying to do the same thing better, but eventually it gets to a tipping point where there really aren't any more customers who really want that, and you've just continued to build and build and build in the same way, and there's been no thinking about how can we do this differently, how can we do this in a better manner, how can we really you know, navigate our own pie, You know, how do we make this better? It's, in uh, negotiations, I, l- I link it to not leaving money on the table and instead um making the pie bigger it's been discussed so looking for a blue ocean is creating a a new avenue of revenue creating essentially a new market that you can dominate in that you don't have the competition because they don't deliver the same product and they're really not even tipping towards you at all Um, another example would be southwest airlines this is this is one of the most common examples and you hear this in MBA courses all the time. Southwest Airlines essentially created a flying bus um, as opposed to air flight. previously, it was all, you know, class-based and it was kind of inaccessible to a lot of people. And what would later become your, um, you know, uh, in Australia, it would be like Jetstar and that sort of thing. And Southwest Airlines obviously still exists in the US. (coughs) Well, Southwest, and what they did was they worked out that they can be more efficient, I'm um, obviously taking a bit of the operational effectiveness uh, terminology here, but what they did was they said, let's not have classes in, in our airline. Let's turn this around, get rid of the first class section, um, and create an option for flying for people who generally can't afford uh, tickets. And how we're going to do this is we're going to have faster turnarounds at gates by organizing the, uh, the entry and exit into a plane differently, um, have our r- routes quite set, and, um, and make sure that we don't provide all the glitz and glamour. We do different things instead uh, to make people get on the plane, uh, turn around quickly, and turn a higher revenue through more passengers. So they created a new market in itself that no one else was competing with them. And That's the essential thing. And it worked wonders. It worked wonders. And that's why they ended up being the, um, the massive airline that they are today. But they were on the brink of bankruptcy when that started. And it was in the late 70s, I think. Uh, so that really turned around completely for them. And the other example I give is, um, and these are I'm just give, running through these so you can get your head around red oceans and blue oceans as a terminology. I'm not going into them in depth. They deserve, the actual case studies on these, go Google them because they deserve uh, a fair whack to be able to understand exactly what these guys did differently. Um, read about the people who are in charge of, of flipping this round. Read about the creator of Sector Subway because they, the examples are really great. And and they're worth going into more detail for uh, detail with, but not now. (laughs) So uh, the last one is iTunes. Um, uh, That's pretty self-explanatory. He created a a marketplace for buying digital music. He saw that, you know, the the greatest thing about Steve Jobs was um, that he constantly was looking to say, how can we simplify this, break this down to make this, you know, more efficient, more effective to the point where uh, with the first iPhone he took it and he said to the guys, okay, yeah, it looks really good. this is when they're showing him the finished product. You know, so he yelled everyone into submission and they finally come up with this finished product and and this is where he was a genius. It had an off button originally. So, you know, you're turning it on, you're using it and then you press another button to switch it off or whatever it is. And he said, get rid of the off button. They're like, what? It was absolutely crazy. What do you mean get rid of the off button? But what he effectively did was uh, he enabled it so it never, you never stop using it. You know, that was a that was trick. It just kind of goes to sleep after 10 seconds of, of you know, inactivity. And so it was constantly then being played with and constantly being worked. But that was genius because he simplified the design of it. Um, that was a big thing about Apple. You know, it was about how slick can things look, how clean can they look, um, how user friendly can they be? And if you're taking away a task that someone has to do in the ordinary use of their, this equipment, then that can be a real benefit, and it can be a massive selling point. And it's almost the subtle things, the subconscious things that can make a product really great. But yeah, iTunes was a blue ocean. It was finding a blue ocean that very few people even remotely compete in. It's it's iTunes where you go buy your music, where you go buy TV series and this that and the other thing, you know. It really created the marketplace itself. It created the blue ocean and that's what was so great about it. So in strategy, coming back to strategy and why this is important, why understanding what a blue ocean is, is because when you're creating a strategy for your business, you should be trying to, as best you can to think along these lines. How can I do what I do differently to the, other, to the other people, to the rivals that I'm going up against, the competing companies, new players coming into the field. How can I do what I'm doing differently? And let's say you've been in business for a while. Let's say you're not just starting out. You can still shift things. Apple started in 1980-whatever or late 1970s. I don't know what day it was. But the evolution, the revolution of Apple only started in the late 90s. right? Everything before then, uh, beyond the Apple Mac when that first came in and all the sort of moves Steve Jobs made before he left, so that, that period between like the mid-80s or the late 80s and the mid-90s, go go Google those Apple computers. They're shithouse. They look terrible. And then the, app, then the Mac came in, you know, with all the different colors and all the excitement around it. I remember when those things came in. I thought they were absolutely amazing. They were cool. He made computers cool, okay? He created this. He took what was um, essentially a you know, we we use the concept of the left hemisphere of the brain and the right hemisphere of the brain. He took a left hemisphere oriented industry, which is kind of gray and you're in a cubicle and you're running through code and you're doing, and made it exciting. He made being involved in computers cool. So all the evolution that came after that, you know, the influence and the excitement that led to things uh, like YouTube and so forth, I argue that that all gradually came over time. Um, And it certainly was something which was, uh, very prevalent in, in, in defining the blue ocean. The important thing in all this is that you're actually actively involved in challenging the direction of what your product is going to be and where it's going to best be marketed. And that's that's essential from not only a brand management perspective, but to actually grow your business, you need to really have a firm grasp on why you're there and how what you're doing is going to be better than what your competition is doing. That's essential. And when you're talking to your marketing department and you're in a meeting with them and you're trying to understand, well, (coughs) okay guys, so what have we done? Um, Where's it gone? Really sit there and ask the question, is what they're doing purely task-oriented or is there a creative capacity to find a better way of doing it, of, of marketing the product that you're trying to sell? than the competition. I mean, are they actively engaged? That's essential That is really, you know, absolutely bottom line. And especially in social media, because it is where you should be putting your marketing assets, it is where you should be spending your money, it is where you should be developing your best content on a regular basis and delivering it with impact. So if the marketing department is operating on older terms, if they're operating on, well, the competition's doing this, so we're gonna do this, and we're gonna do this because the competition's doing this, and that way we're competing with them in the same field. Ask them, well, how are they actually outfoxing the competition? How are they actively engaged in the job I've given them to do? And that's really, really essential, you know? You need to get on, if you're the business owner, then you need to be on their backs to make sure that your head of marketing, for example, is constantly asking the question, okay, guys, how can we do this? He's essentially doing your job in the marketing department. I mean, that should be like, you're yeah, the hoy, and the head of marketing. But are they really thinking in strategic terms? Are they really challenging, you know, the orthodoxy of why, why something has always been done in a certain way? You know, how often are they trying to problem solve, trying to create different things? Are they in, in actually a creative force? Are they someone who's actually delivering you know, the potential for your business and your product to be marketed in a better way. And don't just leave this up to someone to do it in a task oriented fashion because as soon as you do that, then it's like you're putting a stopgap on your ability to grow as a business. You're just hoping that people want to start spending more money at a particular, you know, asset or a particular product class. That's just not the way it is. You have to go out there and fight and hustle for it, but it's really, really important. That from above, the people that you're putting in charge of communicating and selling these things actively are actively engaged in the process of defining constantly is the strategy that we're doing the best strategy we can do. And the reason it needs to be constant is the, the same thing I've talked about in the first podcast because social media is a field of attention seeking where you have to be constantly on the ball. You have to be constantly updating information, giving people content, giving them a reason to listen to you. You can't put up a billboard and expect them to always look at it because I guarantee the next time they take a shit, they're going to be in a different country looking at a different thing. That's how you have to think of their attention. They're only going to glance at it and then if you're constantly you know, engaging with them, well, then you can have something which you can then sell to. But if you're not, if you're just holding space, then you are completely wasting your time. You may as well not be there. There's no point in holding stagnant space in an active firing atmosphere like social media. And there is no point having anyone in a marketing department or an advertising department or anyone in control of social media for your product at all if they're not thinking along the same strategic terms in which you want to grow the profitability of your business, if they are just creating things, if they just do is in another word, then it's going to be limited from go. You know, <clears throat> They have to be accountable to that level of scrutiny. That's how you're going to succeed. That's how you're going to drive innovation forward. Okay, I think that's probably about enough on, on that kind of concept because if I go any further, I'm just going to be drawing the same thing down over and over again to start to beat a dead horse and get boring and if I go into too much detail I think you're going to glass over the essential points I made so focus on strategy and put the pressure on the people who you'll put in charge of marketing and so forth if you're not doing it yourself and especially make sure that you're not just leaving the social media department up to some kid that is the biggest mistake you can possibly make you wouldn't leave them with your bank passport so you wouldn't throw money down the drain in the biggest attention seeking superhighway in the world cool beans talk to you later